Greetings, friend. Have you come seeking knowledge of a world that is shrouded in darkness and untold horrors? A world where evil lurks around every corner and only the bravest and most skilled warriors can hope to survive? Or perhaps you seek the refuge of the fireside and be surrounded by humanity tonight. Perhaps a story to pass the time. I am Loder Ibn Lee, a keeper of the old tales. That one with the large array of weapons and deep, knowing gaze is known as Kairi. They are a stalwart and powerful companion, and will not harm you. That other one? Ah, yes. Faience. She is a necromancer of great power, and seeks to aid humanity in our darkest hour. We are the Lore Watch. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another Diablo edition of Lore Watch. Uh, if you've heard from the intro, we are joined once again by our fantastic editor-in-chief and all-around Diablo necromancer aficionado, Liz Harper. Thanks for <laughs> joining with us today, Liz. Howdy! And barbarian extraordinaire Matt Rossi. Greetings. We're going to be continuing our story discussion because, well, we barely got through Act 1 last time. We're going to see if we can do Acts 2 and 3 today. Uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Uh, but starting with Act 2, uh, even though the game lets you kind of go wherever you want to go, and you can kind of go to wherever you want, um, following, I think, in the, the Act progression, it seems to make the most amount of sense. So after you're done... Just out, go ahead. Just out of curiosity, what order did you play them in? Did you play them in just numerical order? I played them in the vanilla order. Like, I went I went numerical. I, I mm-hmm. something, something in my brain was just like, you have to do this. This is the way they want everything I, laid out. <laughs> I totally get that, but I actually felt that playing... Three before two, two actually. Wait, yeah, three before two. I felt the story flowed better that way. Interesting, because I I actually like the way the story. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that because obviously we're about yeah, to. Yeah, you uh, guys are going to believe what I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you did you start with three, Matt? I bet you did. I went to uh, one up until you get the the quest to go get the blessing from Arius, but then I didn't go talk to Arius. I then went to two and did two up to the <laughs> point where they give you the quests to go talk to the two druids. Uh, but then I didn't do that. Then I went, I went up to three and did all the three, um, you know, to find out what was up with that pesky pale dude. And after that, I went back and did two. And then I went and finished up one. That is the most. That is the most Matt way to do the the, the questing <laughs> that I I think that is possible. Because well, I I done it differently on the uh, the the early access, and I wanted to see like what people said because there's different dialogue if you do it. That's differently. true. That's true. And I wanted to see what people said. Like there's a part where you you basically tell um you tell Lorath about. Well, you, go ahead and let's start. So I know. Yeah. 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 So uh, without further ado, there's going to be tons of spoilers, uh, obviously, moving forward, uh, if you hadn't gathered that. So let's let's talk about Act Two, because Act Two, uh, you are sent to go find a man named Donan in Aldheim Keep in Skazglen. Who wants to talk about why Skazglen is important? I think Matt. Matt, why why is Skazglen important in this story? Well, for one thing, the outrageous accents are just great. Um, but no, more accurately, there's an interesting thing because Skazglen 
really does a good job of, of showing you that a lot of time has passed. Yeah. Um, one of the things it does is a generation or so ago, this demon, uh, Astaroth, invaded Skosglen. Now, this would have been like almost 20 years after the whole deal with Malthiel. Like, so Skosglen had been hit hard like every place else in the world, but they were kind of on their way back up. There was like a new generation. They were slowly reclaiming the area. And then this fire lunatic shows up. The people of Skosglen... At the at the time you go there, seem to think that their druids abandoned them, which is of course not entirely true because at least two druids did stand against Astaroth. Two druids but, with one of the Haradrim. Yeah, yeah, with one of the Haradrim, uh, Donan the Haradrim in question. And the thing is, is it, as you go through Skazglen and as you do side stuff, you see that what happened from the druids' point of view, and it's not like they weren't. If any of them left, it was a very few. But I do think some did leave, and we'll get into that later. But a lot of them were just plain old dead. Like they, they were the ones he hit first and he hit them hard. Like you, you see like in, in, um, I can't remember the name is told uh, hold on. Toldura, yeah. Yeah. When you, when you go there to claim this, to, to reclaim the, uh, save the uh, area, you see like, like images of what happened when Astaroth was there. You, and the, all the spirits of the people he killed are like bound to the place in internal torment. They're like suffering and he gets Astaroth is like giggling, getting to watch them burn forever. And it's this like, so that happened. They finally managed to stop him and they became the heroes of Skosglen, uh, Donan, uh, Afri, and uh, I can't remember C- Captain Crazy Pants's name. Uh, uh, Donan, Adrian, Ar- Arida, and Nefane. Nefane, yeah. The three of them were like, there's a big statue of them in the largest settlement. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on. And when you get there, Donan is like, kind of acts like he's too important to talk to you. Um, but it really shows you like the other thing that's happening is that when Do- after they defeated Astaroth, Donan made a deal with the the Cathedral of Light, the, the guys from Act 1, and he basically joined up uh, with the understanding that Anarius would provide his help in keeping something under wraps, which we'll talk about as we talk about the act. But you get there, Donan doesn't really want to talk to you that badly, but when you kind of say, hey, it's Lilith, he's suddenly like, oh, 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 okay. You should come out to my house. We should talk out there. He obviously doesn't want the cathedral to hear him talking to you about this. Yeah, yeah. because because so, there's there's a whole event that happens that he sort of like talks about outside of earshot, right? It's what happens at Firebreak Manor, his home. Mm-hmm. Where yeah, basically, uh, Lilith. Should I talk, or, or does someone else want to talk about this? Part? Let, let's Liz, Liz. You you go talk a little bit about it. I mean, because Lilith has come to see Donan. We're we're on Lilith's trail. We were in uh, the, the fractured peaks, and we were too late to find her. But we caught up to her, or at least closer to her, in Skosglen. And Lilith has paid a visit to Donan, and uh, basically, she's looking for Astaroth. She says that, I, I mean, Donan is the big hero and he's become a big, important guy in Skosglen. But she's saying, no, you couldn't have defeated Astroth. Where are you hiding him? Where is he? And Donan, Donan won't, give up, won't, uh, won't give up this information. And he, you know, kind of says, no, go away. And uh, Lilith leaves. And one thing I find is really interesting about that encounter is that Donan seems to think that he, like, Cast Lilith out. Donan seems to think he, by virtue of his words, sent Lilith away. When in reality, we find out very soon <laughs> that uh, 
she has chosen to leave because she realizes that these two druids were actually involved. Maybe they have some information and would be willing to talk to her. Which, uh, you know, if you understand storytelling, yeah, yeah, that's the direction this is going. And yeah, and it should be pointed out, too, uh, one of the things that I wanted to mention is one of the things Skosglen does really well is show you the tension mm-hmm. between, like, you know, old and new, between, uh, you know, different different beliefs, different systems of, of faith, different, for lack of a better word, religions. Um, the Cathedral of Light does not do a great job of respecting the, the druids or the druidic faith. You could have just stopped that respecting anyone because they, they really they, they, don't care. I mean, there's an interesting tension in Skosglund and you see a tiny bit of that tension in the fractured peaks. You see that the cathedral of light comes down with harsh punishments on its own people. They're constantly demanding ties there. So you see a lot of kind of how hard they can be in the fractured peaks. And in Skosglund, you see how they, uh, how they interact with other, with this other group of faction, this other religious faction They've clearly pushed down the Druids. They do not approve of Druidic practices or religions. They kind of they kind of make fun of it when, you know, there's a point where they're putting up Druidic wards and they're like, Druidic wards aren't going to help you. We're here. We're here to help you. So, and uh, even in the first, you go to Eldheim Keep to see Donan and you see they've, they've got gibbets up in the courtyard. They've been hanging people and you don't know for what, but they've made a really obvious display of causing people harm. Uh, I mean, I think that's really a core aspect of the Cathedral of Light is they are not accepting and they're willing to go to extreme measures to ensure conformity. And they, they have like no understanding of why the people here don't like them because a lot of people, some people in Scott's Glen have embraced the light embrace the light of the church and a lot of people are like you just came in and invaded our land and took over and now you're killing us and uh that's a big point of tension as you play through this story i think it's a little bit deeper than that though too right because think about this from from the perspective of of people that have heard the stories passed down from you know 50 Mm -hmm. years ago right what caused this massive reduction in population that the world uh, had to deal with last time, 50 years ago, that was that was the Black Soulstone. That was Malthiel. That was an angel. Yeah, but keep in mind, there are not a lot of people, there's not a lot of signs that people on this continent know much of anything about that. Well, you know, I, that, that happened in Westmarch. No, no, right? I, I understand that, but I'm, I'm getting to that, though, because I think some of the tension, though, with the Cathedral of Light is the Cathedral of Light purports that it is followed it, or is, is following an angel at its head. And I think that makes everybody who doesn't immediately buy into it just a little bit distrustful because angels really haven't done a whole lot for the world at large. And those stories do travel, right? Like I'm not saying that they maybe know everything that happened, but I think they know enough maybe to not completely trust them or to, to feel a little uneasy about it. I don't know. I haven't seen any signs in game uh, and there's nothing out of game yet that implies the only person who seemed to know much of anything was Lorath when he told that story in the book of Lorath. I don't know how many people he's told that to. It, it, it's one of those, it's an open question. We don't know right now. I certainly don't think that, that Anarius is a uniter. Mm-mm. Like if, unless, <laughs> unless by unite, you mean makes people who even think he has a point kind of hate him. Uh, like me, I actually think that it, that 
and RES is is hard done by in a lot of ways. Uh, in terms of like, this is a guy who is mostly right, but he is burnt out and messed up, and really, honestly, is like the best case of of complex PTSD I've seen in a long time. But that doesn't change the fact that he, you know, we talked about it last week. He killed his own son because his son wouldn't give him the key to hell. And his son wouldn't give him the key to hell for reasons we eventually find out. You know, it, he, he absolutely shouldn't have had it. It wasn't for him. This, he's not involved. Anarius, you're not involved in this prophecy. You're, I know you think you are. You're not. And that's kind of like Skosglen shows you what it's like when these people who, who come into Skosglen because one person invited them have essentially taken over. And there's a lots of people who are from Scotland who are like, you know, okay, sure. Holy light. I'll take anything that will help my people. But there's also lots of people who are like, no, we, we had our own way of doing things and it worked fine. We don't need this. And there are other people who are like really mad at the Druids who think they abandoned them so that it's really complicated. And I think that that's one of the things I really like about Scotland is that complex narrative on, you know, as you do the quests, as you do the, the main story quests, but also as you do the side quests, there's a ton of variety. There's no monolithic reaction to this. And even in the in the, to the two druids that we go looking for, which I think, Liz, you should probably talk about. Yeah, I was going to say, we should probably transition into that, I think. Uh, okay. Um, where are we starting? Let's start with Nefane. Uh, you know, that's the one I started with. It's, this is another place. You can, like, branch into two different directions. You can go after Arda, or you can go after Nathane. And it doesn't really change the story, but there are some tiny, tiny distinctions that you can run into in dialogue, depending on which you do first and which you do second. And that's that's something very interesting about Diablo 4s. These these little differences. It doesn't it doesn't have like huge differences, big story altering consequences, but it has you know little things depending on how you do things, which isn't something we've seen in a Diablo game before. So you are going off looking for Nefane. You're you're ba- you're on Lilith's trail. Maybe she's gone looking for Nefane. And um, again, you run into this conflict between the cathedral. Nefane is super, super against the cathedral. He is he sees the knights penitent as invaders who have come in and taken his land. He's had his wolf companion has been attacking them. Some knights penitent had gone to check on him and make sure he was okay with this. Maybe there's a demon here. And he, his wolf companion had bit them. <laughs> and you go looking for him and you see this stone that's like has a message welcoming people to the forest i think and scrawled in blood on it is a message saying no cathedral dogs or something along those lines yeah yeah, and, I, was, I remember that yeah 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 so this is nefane is like the cathedral's uh not the cathedral's biggest fan here and uh it's it's interesting going from Fractured Peaks to here, where you just immediately see the cathedral. In Fractured Peaks, it's the big thing. This is what everyone does. This is what everyone follows, even though maybe not that awesome. But in Scotsglen, there's just such a such a backlash. So, man, this is this is actually a pretty disturbing quest, in my opinion. You go through the forest after Nefane, and the forest is filled with blood. Mm-hmm. I it's, mean, you're it's become you're, a blood marsh at this point. Yes, you're walking. You're probably ankle deep in blood, walking through yeah. this forest. 
Yeah, you were all looking for Kitten Marsh, but unfortunately, there's no Kitten Marsh. <laughs> if, uh, if you've heard me complain about squelchy noises in Diablo, this is where it really oh, gets gosh. turned to 11. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. So you, you go through the Blood Marsh, and you find a Fane, and he's been torn in half and d- d- pinned to a tree. And uh, he's, he's uh, this blood marsh, that's him. He's torn in half. He's still alive, but he's bleeding this impossible amount of blood into the forest around him. And uh, it's, it's because he's made a little deal with Lilith, which has not, has not maybe gone entirely as he had planned. He, uh, he wanted to destroy the Knight's Penitent. He met Lilith and he was full of hate. Of course, Lilith herself is the daughter of hatred. It's kind of suggested that she inspires this feeling in people. He's full of hate. He was overwhelmed by hate, and he wanted to destroy the Knight's Penitent. And he made a deal with Lilith to destroy the Knight's Penitent in exchange for telling her where Astaroth is. Now, of course, we we she thought Astaroth is alive, and now we find out also that Astaroth is alive, that he is imprisoned under Eldheim Keep in a soul stone. Surprise! There's a soul stone. There's always a soul stone in a Diablo for in a Diablo story. Yep. Haradrim don't know what to do without him. Which it comes up later. They they definitely they definitely talk about that internally. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like the, so the Eldheim Eldheim Keep was built specifically on top of the soul stone in order to keep it contained. Sound familiar? Uh it's- the the Church of Zakaru may have tried to do the exact same thing. Heck, they tried to do it twice. Yeah, they did it with the Church of Zakaru, and they did it with the monastery uh, that Diablo was put under. It doesn't work, guys. They're they're doing the best they can here, but basically, the Haradrim runs into a problem. I think the solution is a soul stone because it's it's kind of the only weapon they have. You can't you can't kill a demon. Killing a demon doesn't get rid of the demon. Yeah, it just they, sends, them back, have, sends them back to hell. They can come back. Yeah, yeah. they have no defense. And uh, Donan talks a little about this, about how they just, they don't have a better solution. Stole stones are a problem. You can't quite, you can't make this work, but it's the only solution they have. It is, it is basically, and, and Donan makes this point, uh, Essentially, it's just kicking the can down the road, but mm. when the can is going to annihilate everything, better you kick it down the road indefinitely than you let it do so. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you hope that you'll come up with something better, but if not, you'll just keep putting it back in the ding soul stone if you have to. Like If we have to keep putting this guy in a soul stone for over and over again, that's what <laughs> we're going to do because I, I, that's better than the alternative. It does feel like maybe this was more successful than their usual soul stone experiments. Because, you know, Donan kind of was babysitting the Soul Stone. It was buried underground. It was surrounded by druidic wards. And then on top of it was Eldheim Keep, which had been blessed by Anarius. It was holy ground, and it kept him contained. Like you saw with in Diablo 2, both Diablo and Mephisto, they kind of... Uh, they kind of snuck out. They corrupted the people around them. They had influence over the world. And yeah. It doesn't seem like Astaroth had that, though. Yeah, Astaroth, Astaroth isn't, also yeah. wasn't a prime evil a prime, or a lesser yeah. evil. Yeah. He's he's a little lower down the food chain. So yeah, maybe that was part of it. Still a very powerful demon, but not yeah, yeah, yeah. not in that not in that category. Uh, but, but go ahead. 
I was going to say the, 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 the interesting thing though, too, is it also involved somebody who, you know, Donnan is a Haradrim that when you're discussing things with Lorath, his primary focus was studying soul stones. There is no one currently alive that knows, knows soul stones better than he does in terms of being soul stones. Um, it's a very Haradrim thing. So like him being there, him having to keep there, him, you know, being able to keep a mindful eye on it and having sort of the, the breath of history of knowing what went wrong in the past and what to look for was a boon. It was an absolute boon for, for that particular type of containment. And the fact that it wasn't a prime evil definitely did help. But going back to, to Nathane and, and uh, what you learned from, from that encounter and everything else, uh, Nathane has clarity toward as that, as you progress through the quest, as you sort of deal with the, the ramifications of Nathane's choice. Um, it is a heartbreaking quest because you realize exactly how much hatred seeped into the, that man because of what was happening around him. And then when he finally lets go of it and begs for release after you've done everything else, the wolf just lays down like next to his master's body. And it is heartbreaking, at least for me. I wanted to pet that dog so bad. Um, yep. <laughs> I'm going to say before we move on, because we do, we should, there's a lot to cover here. I will say that one of the best little bits of storytelling in this entire game is how your character basically tells the wolf, look, look at me. I am clearly not with those people. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> like you, you take a smell. You can tell you can, <laughs> you can smell the lack of total hypocrisy on me. And it, it's really interesting. So it doesn't actually say that, but just as like, Hey there, I'm not with the cathedral. And, and just says it like, like you're talking to like a guy like that. You know, obviously this wolf is, is, you know, important enough for me to address it as an equal. And I really liked that. I liked the way that it's such a small detail but it goes into the overall flex of the story. I also really like how the main character is sort of written throughout the entirety of it as well. Like regardless of your class and your individual ties, because I believe there is some, some small deviation based off of class. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, there uh, is. Not uh, much. It's not, not much. A, not a lot though. Yeah. It's a very small amount. Like the class quests are all different, obviously. Obviously. And they have little bits of lore. Like the rogue one takes you around to go find various groups who have wisdom for them. The barbarian one takes you to a barbarian clan that is willing to accept outsiders and you can prove yourself and join. I haven't done the Druid one yet. The Druid one is steeped exceptionally heavily in Skaz Glen. Um, the, the Druid one, you, you clear Tordora is yeah. kind of dig at the heart of it. And not only do you clear Tordora, but you learn a little bit about what Matt was talking about, especially if you do all the side quests there. About mm, yeah. the druids like splitting off and going different places and the ones that stayed behind and sort of the after effects and echoes of it, um, which we can talk about as well when we get towards the end of Act 2, because it, I think it is worth mentioning. Uh, but then let's talk about Erida and what happens with that one, because Erida is sort of the keeper of the spirits of the realm. Uh, and in Skazglen, the way that they, they talk about the ancestors and the spirits is when you get to the, the cairn in which they are interred the cairn is left open for them to sort of wander around and sort of, for lack of a better term, have an afterlife. Uh, because again, ramifications of the, the soul stone being completely, or the um, world stone being completely gone is that when a human dies, their soul doesn't really go anywhere anymore. And it's always been a problem in Diablo, but at least 
before the events of everything exploding and the world stone going away, there was a place for it to go to. Um, we saw this being a problem in Diablo three. It's continuing to be a problem in Diablo four, but as you go to find Arida, you find that the spirits are angry and restless and being whipped up into a tizzy. Uh, and that there is, as you're making through, you find out that the cairns have been sealed and you bring Donan's son with you. Yorin, Yorin comes with you, uh, which I also think is really interesting because during this quest line, you learn how, uh, Donan has been teaching his son, the Herodric ways, but not completely. He still has, I don't want to call it the taint of the church, uh, but it, it, but I really, it kind of fits, right? Like, he's, he's been training to be a Knight's Penitent. He wears yeah. Knight's, like a lighter version of the Knight's Penitent armor, but he also totally knows the Druidic ways. He knows the history of this area and the customs. And the Druids know him and, and were mm-hmm. like at least willing to deal with him because of who his, his father, his mother and who his father is, right? Because his father helped save them from, from Astaroth. Yeah, but his mother was also the one who helped preserve Druidism. Yes, and uh, you know, in the wake of everything that happened. So there's, there's even I, I, when you meet the uh, the father and daughter atop the the mountain. Yeah, when you meet them on top of the mountain, when you're talking about Sorry, the mists. I got cut off there. That's my bad. Um, yeah, it, it's during that. Yeah, but yeah, you see a bunch of that. But as you're making your way through the Cairn, you find that Erida has also been influenced or made a deal in certain regards with. Lilith, that it has it had an impact, which is why the spirits were being contained and being riled up and being made to be angry. Uh, and then Erida sort of charges you to prove your worth, right? Like it's it's one of those moments where it's like, yes, well, I have to do what I have to do. Show me that you can do what you need to do. And I believe that was the exhuming the forgotten and hollowed lament quest lines, which were actually really well done. Mm-hmm. Um. What did you think about making your way through the cairn and learning about the different uh, places? The the Weeping Cairn, I believe is what it's called. Uh, all the way down to the Cairn of the Elders and finding that it had been demon-scarred and, and everything else. Did you think that... I, I don't think that that's what Erida had expected, and but that's sort of where it kind of finished. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's... Erida's motivations here... I mean, she tells you what she's what she's aiming for, and they don't make a whole lot of sense to me personally. Like, I can... It's another thing where this is inspired by hatred. You go through the cairns, and one thing that's interesting is until you get to the end, you don't know that Erida is doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, Yorin has been raised to think of Erida as a hero, a great hero of the people. She would never entrap the 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 spirits in stone she knows better than to do this she's the keeper of these spirits but the and druids the druids did mention earlier in the quest line that they could hear her her instrument on the wind and that it sounded different there was something with that because at least when i was playing yeah. the druid they did mention that the little girl tells you that yeah yeah sorry please continue this but as you progress through them it's like finally yorn's like these runes, these these are druidic runes, and they have a delicate touch. Erida did this. Erida put down these runes to raise the dead to cause this upset. And you that's that's when you realize, I mean, through this entire thing, you may think that you're going to find friends and allies. These are the people who defeated Astaroth. Maybe they're going to be willing to help you defeat Lilith. And that's completely not the case. Nefane completely gave into hate 
and died for it, died horribly for it, and caused a great deal of pain to the people, not just to the Knights Penitent. This is real bad for everyone. And Erida has done the same. Well, Lilith has... Go on. I was going to say, Erida and Nefane together have given Lilith what she wanted, but have also, in by effect doing that, doomed their people. Because Nefane told her where the Soul Stone was. Told her that it was beneath Eldheim Keep, and that, that she that's where she can get it. Erida told her how to free Astaroth. Because Lilith has been gone for a while. She doesn't really know how soul stones work. She could probably figure it out. But Erida told her what to do. And that those two things combined is horrible. And it's, again... Liz talked about sort of this daughter of hatred having that sort of influence as you move through. And this is where it really starts to become apparent how that goes. Right. It's also interesting because of the difference in what, uh, Nemain hates versus what Aphrodite hates. Mm-hmm. Nemain is really focused on the Knights Penitent. He hates them. He hates their religion, that whole deal. Aphrodite hates the people of Erida. Scotland. No, Erida. no, Erida, Erida, sorry. I keep saying Aphrodite, that's my bad. Erida hates the people of Scotland. She hates them, not, not, not like, you know, individually, not as like, you know, people even. She hates what she sees coming because they're too, they're too short-sighted and too unwilling to do what has to be done to save them. And she wasn't, she wasn't like this before Lola showed up. She was like pensive and afraid, but she wasn't like this, but Lilith convinced her that the Lords of hell are coming. And that's the thing we have to keep in mind. Yes. She finds, she finds the weak spot. She finds like, she's like water. She finds the crack and works at it. If she'd spent more time on Donan, she probably could have got him, but mm-hmm. she didn't see the reason to, like I can go around him. And then plus she knows full well that Donan is the one that the deem that Astaroth really hates. So not having, you know, having Donan there goes into her plan later. So she works on these two and Arida in particular is so concerned with preserving her people that she's willing to inflict all this pain and suffering on them because it's the only way they'll get strong enough. If they can't handle Astaroth, how are they going to fight the Lords of hell? And in, if they should die, she's sort of the custodian of those souls. Anyway, they're yeah, not really dies. gone. They're not yeah, really they, gone. They're, they're they'll, they'll still have an afterlife. Yeah, everyone dies. Sorry, That's Liz. nature. She's natural. So yeah, go ahead, Liz. Yeah, I mean, the big thing she says is people don't remember what it took to defeat Astro. Mm-hmm. With the thought that now we're going to have bigger threats. They don't know what it took to even defeat this one demon, this not even a lesser evil. And they need to be made to remember. One of the first things you run into when you walk into Skosglin is you see an old man telling a story about the defeat of Astaroth. And it sounds so simple and so heroic. These two druidic warriors came in, this Herodrum came in, and they defeated Astaroth. It doesn't talk about the horrors, the destroy, the destruction. It doesn't talk about Tuldura burning eternally, the slaughtering of the druids. It's just like these three heroes marched in and destroyed Astaroth. It's it's kind of turned into a fairy tale. It's yeah, just I, this happy story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's really there's quests after you do the main story where mm-hmm. you find out, like for instance, one of the ways that they won was that Donan made a secret police. He made a group of skulking assassins who just killed anybody who looked like they might be working with Astaroth. 
Yeah, they they were uh, gone basically trying to work and, and root out cultists, right? Yeah, and they just straight up killed people. They didn't even, like, and they did it, like, they would burn whole villages down to get one guy. And, and you know, they were, they were mad dogs. He even says it, you know, we were like, you know, they called me the bear. And it's really fascinating because it, it's it basically goes and says, look, this is the the links to which people will go to survive. Mm-hmm. And in a way, that's Arida. Arida is like, yes, it's horrible. Yes, this is painful. But you have to survive. My people have to survive. If we need to lose another 90% of them, that's what we need to do. So it's, it is really interesting to see how Lilith plays on all this. How she finds the way to get people to do what she wants. So I think that's... An interesting thing about all of the villains in this game is that for the most part, they make reasonable points. You kind of look at all of the big main characters. You look at Anarius, you look at Rathma, you look at uh, at Lilith, and you see like they aren't they aren't coming out and lying to you. They're looking at the situation in very different ways. They're saying very different things, but none of you can see, you can see Inarius's perspective coming into this story, how he has looked at the prophecy and sees himself as a grand hero. This is how he's interpreted the world around him. And that colors everything in how he reacts with you and how the cathedral of light runs. And you go here and you see you see Lilith going and talking to these people and bringing them around to her side and she's not she's not going in and lying to them she's saying she's saying her whole message to everyone seems to be the lords of hell are coming and we have to be ready you have to work with me so we can be ready let me let me help you learn and gain the power to do this and that's that's not necessarily wrong. That's not a bad point because the lords of hell are always going to be a danger. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because ultimately, with every as with everything, the devil is in the details. You know what I mean? That's she. Nothing she's saying in her spiel is a lie, but she's absolutely not trustworthy. You can't trust Lilith. Even more so when she's telling you the truth. It's actually worse when she's telling you the truth. If she were lying, you could just say, oh, you're lying. But now you have to sit there and think about what she just said and what she's been doing. And if you're willing to go there, it is really fascinating. It is a fascinating character. And you see um, more You see more that as the story moves on, too, right? Mm-hmm. But I want to I keep this moving along because we only have so much time. But so after, after you're done dealing with both of the, the druids and learning... Uh, what information they gave to uh, to Lilith, you now make haste for Aldheim Keep, where a demon siege is let essentially me, underway. Go ahead. Let me jump in here for just a minute. If you do either of these quests, and then instead of going straight to the next one, you go back to Eldheim, mm-hmm. you can talk to Donan about it. You can say, oh, Donan, Nefane says Astaroth is imprisoned under the keep. What's going on? And Donan's like, hush, shh, shh, no. I, does anyone know? Does anyone else know? <laughs> because he's trying to keep it secret. Even his son Yorin doesn't know that Astaroth is imprisoned. Part of what keeps him contained is the secrecy around it. No one knows he's down there. Mm-hmm. But he will explain it to you that okay, we didn't have a choice. This was a last resort. But we had to, we had to stop him. This was our only option. So I think that's really interesting. You can go and talk to him and get this whole extra conversation 
The quest doesn't lead you there. Nothing in any of the quests says, hey, you should go back to Eldheim and talk to Donut. Yeah, you can just do it. But if you can. And, if and- you choose to, you can go back there and there's unique dialogue. There's also unique dialogue if you talk to, if you do Erida's quest first or if you do Nathane's quest first. Yes. You get one or the other, but not you can't get both. Yeah, and you should uh you should and I will encourage people talk to the NPCs if you are oh, interested yes. in the story be as you progress through quests, take little breaks here and there and talk to them because even the townsfolks that have dialogue will change potentially depending on what you what what order you do things in. So, it's an interesting thing because it's the first time we've really had that happen in Diablo game. But getting back to to the progression of of act 2 here, you make your way back to Aldheim Keep. You find that it has been uh, besieged by Lilith and her demon cohorts uh, because they're going after the Soul Stone. Of course, they are. Oh, oh, one thing, since we didn't mention it, when you go out to Nemain and do that quest, it turns out that she took Nemain's hatred and turned it into a monster three-headed demon dog. Multiple, and well, she, it's, the mount, it's the mount that you get in WoW. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, and, and she's now riding it. When you when she attacks this keep, she brought it with her. Yep. So they, like the, the Knights Penance are like, what? Well, we can't stop it. And you're like, yeah, I know. I'll have well, to do it. One thing, and maybe y'all can explain this, is it's not demons attacking the keep. It's Kazra attacking the keep. Kazra are the demons. Goatmen. Kazra yeah, are, demons. are they? Yes. I mean, yeah. is that the whole origin? Okay. They're the formerly human tribe who was induced by a demon lord, and I forget which one, to, <laughs> I think, drink human blood, and then they were transformed into Kazra through demonic magic. They are counted as demons. They're even counted mm-hmm. as demons if you use the, the elixir of demon slaying. Yep. Yeah, they are demons. One thing, there's another like little environmental detail I'll point out here. Is I said earlier when you go into Eldheim Keep, the the Knights Penitent have like uh, a given set up with people hanging. They've got hanging people there. When you go in after the Khazra have been invaded, you see the same thing. They've just hung more people on it. It's just a mess of gore, but it's like it's also the same. They've done the same thing that the Knights Penitent were doing, and you see this very interesting content contrast. And that the demons came in, they killed these people and hung them up. And you also see the Knights Penitent were doing the same thing when they came in. They saw people who were different, people who weren't doing things they wanted them to do, strung them up. Yep. So it's, as it's you absolutely ba- true. It is absolutely true. Uh, but as you battle your way through and you, you make your way through the keep, you find your way back into the Great Hall where you find Donnan and you find him tending to the fallen. Um, he is crestfallen. He is tired. Uh, he understands the implications of what was happening. Um, basically, you are trying to get him to help you and form a plan uh, when he realizes that uh, everything else has gone wrong and that, well, his son's missing. Um, he sent him away, but you convince him to take you to the Soul Stone and to go after it. And you start making your way through the uh, the where the tomb is because it's buried deep in the ground and it is a tomb. That's what it is. Um, you find that his son's protectors have been murdered. His son is gone. And when you get down to the, the actual place where the soul stone is, the soul stone is gone as well. And then if you've played any Diablo game, you kind of understand where this is going, but it hasn't quite made it through Donnan's head yet. Um, and that's where you follow Donnan through, you go through and you go to where it is, uh, uh, Saragar, I think is the name of the area, uh, where you get yeah. to see- where you get to see Lilith uh, has that's where she's riding or not riding. That's where she has like uh, her imperious moment. And uh, 
you know, says, by the way, uh, got a present for you, Donnan. And then you see the soul stone jammed into a head, uh, whereas as the cutscenes played out, you realize that she's done this to Yorin. Uh, but then Yorin's body, now possessed by Astaroth, is riding this rage-filled uh, creation made from the blood and flesh of uh, of a druid. So, you want to talk about what happens after the fight? Well, I mean, it's Diablo. Yes, you kill <laughs> you you kill Astaroth, but there is no happy ending here. Uh, and this is one of the things I really wanted to point out. We were talking before about Liz and I were talking about the story and Liz once pointed out that Lilith doesn't do anything overtly violent. This is the one exception before the end of the game. This is the one time you see her do something violent to a human because she drives the soul stone into Yorin's head herself because she needs that to free him. That's the way she frees him from the soul stone. Yeah. But it's also the one time like you, you, other stuff that happens, she's there for it, and she kind of instigates it, like with the original in the prologue with the the townsfolk in that little uh, town that you know, beat their priest to death. But she doesn't tell them to do that, and she doesn't do it. You know, obviously she's the instigating force, but she is not directly responsible. This is the one time you see. Oh, for all that she talks about humanity, for all that she talks about. The, the the devils are coming and we have to you know get come together to stop them in her heart she does not view people as as, as important because Yorin goes out she doesn't try to talk him into sort joining her she just kills him just drives a soul stone into his head and uses him so i i i think there's an interesting thing inarius is no better and that's the worst part cuz in act 1 you see that the the cathedral does the exact same thing to one of their own so it's 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 the the parallels here are really fascinating to me. That's one of the things I really like is watching these, these people play off each other, but it's also ridiculously on brand for Lilith. Right. And what we know about her, where, why she's so concerned with humanity and why humanity is a thing. Lilith seeks to win the eternal conflict. We were the weapons. The Nephilim were always the weapons and -hmm. people are just tools. They're just arrows in the quiver. Right. And if, they don't have the power of a Nephilim and they can't have that spark awakened in them. Then they're just tools to get there. Right. And yeah, you see, she, you see that she even straight up says that, you know, I think it's actually one of it's Elias who says, you know, what's the prophecy say that, you know, sheep will be eating the wolves. Yeah. That the sheep will eat the wolves. But I think the, the interest, go ahead. Liz. Sorry. There is one story element we sort of skipped over there, which is that Lilith isn't here doing this for funsies. She oh, isn't no, just, not. Yeah, she isn't releasing Astaroth because he's her friend or anything like that. She wants something. She, and that's another thing we see about Lilith. She's, she she's makes deals. angling. Yeah, she makes deals and she's angling for what she wants. She has a goal and everything she does is aiming for that goal. In this, in this uh, situation, Astaroth was the one who guarded the Cathedral of Hatred in Hell. Astaroth guarded Mephisto in Hell. And she she talks to him while he's in the Soul Stone and says, I seek passage to some place I no longer wanted, a place that Astaroth had guarded. And she says, I'll let you out and I'll give you Yorin so you can have revenge on Donan for locking you away in the first place if you will give me this passage. And... Yeah, Astaroth is all over that. Of course, let me out. No big deal. You know what's great about that too? It has nothing to do with the player or, or their character. You respond to Lilith. She does not respond to you. 
She has her plan mm-hmm. and she's executing it. The fact that you're trying to stop her is an inconvenience. I don't I, even know if she sees it as that much. She's gotten what she wants. And oh yeah, exa- absolutely. I'm just yeah. saying that it's like, it would be like, you know, you, you, you check a weather forecast before you plan your day. <laughs> if, if there's something bad happening or someone's trying to stop you, well, you have a cult, right? That's what they're for. You know, and, and she's, she is busy moving on to the next. I honestly don't even think Elias understands the depths of her plan. Uh, and then that'll come up when we start talking about act three, but I really think that, that the whole time Lilith is, is maneuvering pieces. Some pieces are very important, like a King or a Rook or the queen. Uh, and some pieces are pawns, but she's moving them the whole time. And it is really, really interesting to watch her do it. Um, this is one of the most thinking Diablo antagonists we've ever had. And, and that's, mm. you know, other, the primevals aren't morons, but yeah, I, I really did like that. The whole, everything that happens in Skosglen with Lilith is just her trying to get to Astaroth because she wants something from him. If Donan had just given her Astaroth, who knows, who knows what she might've done. She might not have wanted to kill Donan. He's got enough on the ball that he could be a really good servant, but when he refused her, then he, it became very convenient for her in a way, in a way it was better for her that he refused her. She kind of didn't really want him to help her. You know what I mean? Fair. It's, it's really interesting to watch that. But now we have our, our moment where we're getting to the, the end of act two, where the tragedy continues to hit. So not only did Astroth have this fire rage dog mount thing that he was burning the people, of Saragar with, which is absolutely what you see happen, what you play through as you defeat it and defeat that, that creature Donnan comes over and rips the soul stone out of the head of Astor of Yorin to make Astroth sort of disappear, right? Astroth has been defeated. Astroth winds up going back to hell. He's no longer in the soul stone at this point, And you have no other choice, but to walk away and leave Donnan to grieve for his son, who okay, he... You're, you're being serious right now, and unfortunately, I keep thinking of the dark joke I told when my wife and I were watching me do this, where I'm like, Donan, quickly, put it in your head! <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do with Soul Stones, right? You jam them in your head? That's what Talrasha did. That's what Aiden did, obviously, jam it in your head! Clearly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, he doesn't do that. But he has, to, he has to come to grips with a lot of stuff, because as you're doing the, the lead-up with him, you're getting the, my son is prepared for this. My son is strong. He can fight the influence of Astaroth. I know he can do this. I've, I've trained him. I've trained him well. And this is the realization that none of that is true, that that was all desperate hope. And that his son is now his body where his son resided, his soul resided is a husk, right? It's, it's his son's no more. And you have to walk away. Um, And it's, it's one of those things where like act two starts with a, a quest called the knife twists again. This is absolutely that knife twist moment, at least as far as I'm concerned and a fairly powerful one at that. As far as I'm, if I had to, to guess. The thing that makes the Diablo story so heart wrenching is that there are these moments where it feels extremely real, extremely relatable. Everyone has lost someone in their lives at some point, And you see Donan, looking for Yorin, desperate to find his son alive. Uh, his wife has died. Yorin is all he has. He's so protective of him because Yorin is everything. 
And as you chase after Astaroth, after Lilith, at the at the end, he's just desperately, yes, yes, Yorin, I know this sounds bad, but Yorin is strong. And at the very end, you see he's just sobbing over his son's body. And that's that's actually also some super amazing voice acting oh, from yes. the actor portraying Donut, because he's he's like a ugly sobbing in this way that it's like, oh yeah, that's that is a broken man I'm hearing. Yeah, and he does it through the whole thing. He goes from steely and determined to shaken by the chaos at the keep to unwilling to believe that this is happening, that to just destroyed, crushed. Yeah. And the the wailing, the the the, the ugly crying sobbing is is effective. But what's even worse is that just that that moment just before it starts. When he's talking to Yorin and he's talking to him, even though he's mm-hmm. dead, he's holding him and he's talking to him and his voice breaks a little and then it's gone. It's astonishing. It is, it is really the Diablo in, in addition to not always having the, the most complex storytelling has not always had the best voice acting. I mean, you know, Decker Kane aside, but this is spot on. It's, it's, it's really well done. So after that soul-crushing end to Act 2, you make your way to go link back up with Lorath in Ked Bardu, uh, which is on the western side of Sanctuary. Uh, and you basically uh, find him in, well, he's kind of passed out in a chicken coop? Pig pen? I, wild, I think it's more of like a, a manger. It's, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a manger. Because he, he gets into a fight with a, I think, doesn't he say he gets a fight with a goat? Yeah, he does yeah. say that. Yeah. But you find it. You find out that uh, well, he's basically getting uh, cut off by two locals, uh, Daruk and Kelit, or Kelit, and uh, they explain that he came into town two days ago looking for the Pale Man, which is one of the the folks that we've been chasing, and the person from the opening cinematic, uh, the one that summoned Lilith back and has been operating as sort of Lilith's right hand person on the ground, uh, and that whatever he found caused him to basically go seek solace at the bottom of every bottle he could find. <laughs> so you, and it's interesting. It's interesting going from act two to act three. And it's like, you've just had this horrible, tragic moment with Donan. And then you go to act three and it's like, here's Lorath passed out drunk in a mm-hmm. pig pen. <laughs> and then you go and you, you wake him up by essentially throwing water on his face. Like, you know, any good time you find somebody in the, in a, some livestock pen, uh, and he groggily <laughs> explains that uh, he found the identity of who the Pale Man was. And it turns out that the Pale Man was Lorath's former apprentice and member of the Haradrim, Elias. He's the one who brought Lilith to Sanctuary. And uh, yeah, Lorath's not taking it too well. Um, now that you're back, the next goal is for, one, Lorath to get his wits about him, but two, now... Act three becomes about tracking Elias down. Uh, and I will turn it over to Liz. Um, yeah, yeah. So you're tracking Elias and one of the, you're going through the canyons looking for him. There's been demons summoned that have been slaughtering people because that's that's kind of what demons do. That's their whole thing. And you find like a, a summoning circle. I think Lorath calls it a hell gate that has been bringing demons through. And one of the things Lorath notes is that uh, this is this is amateur work. Elias was an exceptionally skilled mage. Why would you? Why are these puny little demons coming at us? And you you know you fight your way through these demons. You find the home 
of a sculptor, I believe. Yeah, and he's like a hermit a stone, sculptor. A stone yeah. sculptor, yeah. yeah. Yes. And Elias has kind of persuaded him over. This is a an isolated, lonely man. And Elias has said, hey, look, you can help us out. You can become one with the mother's love. We accept you. And this is another moment where it's it's kind of worrying how real this feels. You can see how easy it is to manipulate someone like this, someone who's alone and isolated and wants acceptance. And Elias comes in and offers it. And this guy goes for it wholeheartedly. He is summoning demons. He is making these sculptures of Lilith. And I actually wonder, what do y'all think? Do you think this is the source of all the altars of Lilith we run into around the world? Because some mean, of the sculptures I, he's making look similar. It's certainly yeah. implied very heavily that he is the mm-hmm. source of all the statues of Lilith. Yeah, I assumed that's what that was supposed to be. I, f- I felt like that was their wink nod to it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Did you, because there are like a couple hundred statues of Lilith in the game world. And uh, uh, yeah, apparently this one kind of obsessed guy who only wants to be accepted and loved has gone a little crazy making statues and summoning demons. So no surprise. There's a giant fight scene at the end. And uh that you kind of meet Elias for the first time here, you hear his voice. And uh, he's uh, not exactly thrilled to meet his former master. There's clearly uh, maybe a tiny bit of antagonism there. And uh, you you fight this massive demon that Elias has summoned. So, you know, he's, he's actually a skilled demon summoner. This one's a little more challenging than what you faced before. And uh, Laura says, okay, well, we can... You know, you don't have any leads. And Laura says, well, but this demon, you know, it feeds on people. You would have to feed it so we can cut it open and find out where it's been. Which This is, Diablo is so, I mean, it's always gory, but sometimes it goes over the top. Sometimes it's like these really horrifying moments where you cut into a demon's stomach and you're pulling out like arms and feet. And it's like, huh, this, hmm, where did this come from? Yeah, the best and, part uh, though is the best part is the CSI. Like, there's those two guys that cut Lorath off earlier. <laughs> He's now got this demon body strung up in. It's this giant demon. He's got strung yeah. up in what looks to be like their shack, and they're like, you know what are you doing? And he's like, you know, this, and cuts it open. He starts pulling body parts on and goes, eh, throws the, sh- the shoe of a foot over his shoulder. And they're like, you have to show some respect. Those are people's bodies. It goes, dead is dead. The living are more important, which is a really Lorath moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he pulls out a hand and it's like, oh, soft hand, nice ring. Definitely a rich person. It's the... The dead deserve nothing while the living are in danger. Yeah. Which is a fair point, though he's also cut open a giant demon and is throwing body parts around, so... And you discover that now you have an idea of where you need to go for this, because... Uh, to quote Lorath, these are soft hands. <laughs> um, these, are, these are not laborers' hands. These are not uh, folks that are used to hard work. They're not the callous hands of the, pe- of the working people, so they, this must be nobles or lesser nobles or something along that area. So you start to get an idea of where you can head out and uh, start trying to track down uh, where Elias is sort of holed up. And uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that, Matt? Well, after you do the whole deal with the uh, sculptor and Lorath's carving up of bodies, he, when he grabs the demon, he's, he's like, hey, I also sent a letter off to this monastery. 
nearby. Uh, they they are the I think it's is it the Obed Obed the Orbe Orbe monastery yeah, the, or, the Orbe is, monastery. It's kind of like this is, go ahead. This is actually one of the most for me. I feel this is one of the most terrifying side quests in the game. It's, yeah, well, it's this isn't really a side brutal. quest. This is a straight up. This is yeah like, yeah. It's know. just a little. It's like it's a little branch off of the main yeah. quest because it doesn't have a yeah. big impact, but it's. It's, it is creepy as heck. Uh, so you go out to the Orbe Monastery, and when you get there, the first thing you find is like the place is absolutely deserted, except like there's a body, and the body's got a letter on it. And the letter is like, you know, hmm, uh, Lorath, I wasn't expecting you to write to me. Your, your charming apprentice is here. Does this mean you're not going to come join us? He tells me there's, there's news of great portent that I must be informed of. I will inform the, you know, if, if you are coming, I will inform people to, to let you in and bring you straight to us. And you're like, okay, that ain't good. The fact that I don't see anybody around here ain't good. And from there, you go in and you see what you you kind of relive what happens in like the the remains of of who's around. And you get to the you get through a whole bunch of you know demons and monsters and also things and a whole bunch of ghosts. There's a lot of ghosts of people who died here who are like furious because you know this isn't supposed to happen. This 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 museum is a a bastion of knowledge and it's kept safe on purpose. You finally get down to like, you you're on your way to speak to the, uh, the head abbot and you meet a guy who's just broken on the floor and he's repeating this mantra over and over again. Uh, I can't remember it exactly, but it's something along the lines of, you know, that, you know, I keep the truth uh, throughout the light and then I keep it in darkness or something along those lines. And I'm, I know someone's looking it up, uh, but, you go, he, he cracks, you get past him. You have to find the mantra on three statues to get into the final chamber. You pull that off, you head in there and you're trying to get the abbot to leave with you. But he's like, no, Elias burned everything. He came in here and he stole one thing and then he burned everything. And you're like, what did he take? And he says the uh, a ritual to summon a lesser evil. And you're like, oh, that ain't good. That's, that's <laughs> not what I wanted to hear this morning. Um, <laughs> then of course, you know, the ghosts of all the people who died in there show up really mad and they grab the abbot and fuse him into a huge Eidolon of death. And you have to fight that thing. And that's pretty horrible. Uh, so you get through all that and then you go and you like to tell her, so yeah, that monastery kind of dead, kind of your, your, your boy showed <laughs> up there, killed everybody, stole all the, the research and burned everything. So, yeah, but Hey, upside, I figured out what it is. It's a, they're summoning a lesser evil. Godless. The thing I find really horrifying about this is, I mean, what Matt said is correct. You're going through this horde of ghosts who are kind of giving you the story piece by piece, but you get to this place where, like, as you're going through the monastery, you're hearing screams, screams in the distance, murder in the sacristy. You're just hearing shrieks of people being hurt, being killed, and you're going through these empty hallways that are full of corpses and you finally run into a locked door. And on the other side, there are people are like, lock the doors, keep him out. And you're like, yes. And then, then it turns into more screaming and let us out, let us out. And you're like desperately searching for a key with this screaming behind you, screaming, screaming. And as soon as you unlock the door, it's quiet and there are just bodies. But for like this moment there, you're like, okay, I've got to save these yeah. people. There's still people in here locked up. I've got to save them. I got to find this key. And it's it feels very frantic for a few moments because you're you think there are people in there to be safe, but you open the door and it's they're just bodies. 
Elias is long gone. This is a, there are only the dead left. Yeah. And it's what's really the first thing you hear when you first enter into the main hall is someone screaming, leave, we have to go bolt it behind you. Like, but what about the Abbot? Do as I say. And so, you know, somebody left them all down here to die. And, and it was probably the right call. Like if they hadn't sealed the place up and run, they probably would have died too. But it's like such a moment of, you know, that person like had to basically bark that order to get them to do what they wanted and was probably knew these people there for years. It's just, it's, it's every little bit of this moment is just, it keeps getting worse. And it, you know, again, on, on brand for Diablo. And I mean, they, they died anyway. It's like they locked themselves into this room. They tried to lock Elias out, but they, then they were banging on the doors to let us out. You know, everyone's dead anyway. Yep. <laughs> and also Elias could get, could learn how to summon a lesser demon, a lesser evil, which he and, did. And, and burning, burning the place down after him. So no one would know what he'd done, except he, you know, really should have killed the abbot. So the well, abbot to be, to be fair, he didn't, of information. Elias didn't burn it down. The abbot set the fire. The abbot set the fire because the knowledge he felt was, he, he says it as he's rocking back and forth, like the, the knowledge shouldn't exist. I can't keep it safe. So because of that, like mm-hmm. he's he, feeling guilt over what he had done, knowing what Elias had taken, he was he started burning the library. He started burning everything down, which I thought was an and interesting is, an interesting uh, little tidbit. This is a Zacharum monastery. We don't see we see a little bit of the Zacharum, but you don't feel their presence as much as like the Cathedral of Light. They yeah. aren't. You see them falling apart here, and this More, monastery. Uh, was a place of forbidden knowledge, basically, that they kept so that everyone else would know about the darkness out there and be able to protect against it. But it was a uh, um, library full of bad, 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 bad stuff. Yep. It was, uh, you see even more in Act 4. Uh, in 5, really. I think more Act 5 than yeah. 4. 5, but there are a couple of Zacharum locations in Act 3 as well. This is kind of the first time you've seen them. In a long time. Yeah, agreed. So then after you've dealt with the monastery, you now need to find a way to get into, uh, is it Gulran? Is the name of the city? I'm, I'm Gulran. Gulran. Where the, the nobles, uh, or the, the trail of the trail will lead you. Right. Uh, but you can't exactly go in through the front door because that would be suicide. So you have to, uh, essentially find, <laughs> go ahead. It's, uh, you know, actually from the, from early in the story, you see little hints of this early in act three that Gulran has fallen. Gulran was the capital city of this area and it has fallen. You see refugees from Gulran who are escaping, not happy people. Yes. Gulran has been taken over by cannibals and Lorath makes the point. You can't just walk into the front door, Yeah, but if you, you can actually, you actually can, you can walk to the front door and you see this, it's a broken bridge with de- corpses on spikes all over the place. And you're like, okay, yeah, I can't walk in the front door. Let's go around the side. Yeah, and you're tasked with finding uh, somebody who knows how to get into the city, who knows the secret ways to get in and out. 
uh, to where you need to go. Uh, but there's a problem. That person is being held captive with a lot of the other folks that have been captured. So the first thing you got to do is a good old fashioned cannibal jailbreak. Um, yeah, I, I got to <laughs> say, when the first thing I thought when I'm told that I have to go into a city of cannibals to try and find somebody, and the first person in the city I talked to was like, some of them are just grabbing people and rounding them up. I'm like, oh, this is not going to end well. It's never good news that the cannibals are rounding people up. It didn't uh, but it start gets, well. Yeah, but it didn't it gets, start well yeah. either. Yeah, it's 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 terrible. I did just say that I thought the Orbe Monastery was like the most horrifying quest in the game, but this is also pretty horrifying. It continues to get worse, folks. Like it's it's again, it's a Diablo game. You kind of expect it mm. at this point. Uh, but you do make your way through, and it's uh, Oya is her name, I think. Is that correct? Oyun. Oyun. So you you go through and you rescue Oyun, uh, and you take her back to the the rendezvous point. And uh, the person who sent you to go get her is very relieved uh, to see her again. Uh, and then they're getting ready to mount up and leave on a questionably purchased horse, um, <laughs> but not before. Purchased. Yeah, I'm air quoting this maybe here. The- <laughs> but not before telling you where to go. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I'm just going to say you, so you, you basically, they ride off into the sunset. Uh, you're, you're now, you need to go to what is essentially Elias's stronghold. Uh, he's got like a little place where he has the head of the cannibals. Who's basically now become a Lilith worshiper. Although calling him a Lilith worshiper is kind of pushing it. He's, he's more like Lilith worshiper adjacent. It's convenient for him to get fresh meat. Yeah. I don't think he cares. He's just, he's just hanging Lots of people to eat here. Yeah, he's he's there because he's huge. Well, he's he's clearly been been doing something. They've done something to this guy. I don't think so. I think he's just no. the biggest and meanest person, and that's why he's the leader of that. That no, no. I just mean tribe. that's. I just think that they've done something to him, not to make him more aggressive or anything, just to make him able to do the stuff he does in the fight with him. It's like, oh my god, this guy's harder than some of the other bosses by a lot. <laughs> uh, I had I, I had a heck of a time with that fight. Godless. One thing. If you go through some of the some of the quest and side conversations here, you learn that Elias, you know, Elias rolled into town and the leaders in town, he walked in, you know, he walked into the royal court and he was like, yeah, give me your city. And they laughed him out of the room. They threw him in jail, yep. obviously. And mm, surprise, the jail had some cannibals in it that were locked away because they're cannibals murdering people. And... Uh, they threw Elias in jail for being, you know, coming in and saying, yeah, give me the city. And uh, I, uh, this is not stated, but it's certainly implied that Elias turned the cannibals into kind of his own cannibal army and took down the city, murdered all of the royal family, murdered all of the leaders. And yeah, he had like, a yeah, demon to now feed. I got my city. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he had a demon to feed. So, yeah, obviously. Uh, what's really terrifying, too, as you go through the prison when you're doing all this is to find out that. The cannibals are basically keeping these people to fatten them up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The people that they're kidnapping. So, yeah, go. You you run into some people and you're like, hey, come on, let me free you. Let's get out of this terrible place. And th- there's one of them you run into to who's like, no, no, I can eat more. I can eat more. Don't take me. I can eat more. And they're basically, these people have lost it. They will not they won't even acknowledge you as someone other yeah. than a cannibal coming to kill them. Yeah. They are not okay. Uh, but you get in, <laughs> no you, one's okay. You, you get into Elias's, uh, you, you go in and, and, and jump in while Elias is doing his, 
initial evil spiel. And you find out that he's painting runes on some woman. Mm-hmm. Got, he, she's strapped down and they're painting runes on her. And uh, Lorth is like, it's too late. They've, they've already started. You get down there and get her out of there. Uh, get down there and distract him and I'll get her out of there. Uh, and you're like, okay. No, so he actually in. tells you to keep to the shadows. He tells you to yeah, stay out he, of the way. He's, yeah. It's the opposite. I'm going in there and I'm going to deal with this. Yeah. But Which I think is important for... It's an important distinction for the character. I just want to point at this point because Lorath is like, this is the first time you see him like volunteer for heroic action. Really? So, sorry, please continue. Basically what ends up happening is he grabs her and he, he kill. It looks like he kills Elias or something. It's like, what the heck just happened? Oh, that's later. That's later. Sorry. Uh, He, no, this is, this is now he grabs, you know, kind of the the ritual dagger thing that Elias was using and he shoves it through his throat. Yeah. This is not something that Elias should have been able to walk away from, but Laura looks away and then Elias is gone. There's just like a puddle of blood where he was. Yep. So he then starts getting her out, but that's when the, the greasy King of the cannibals comes back and you're like, okay, oh. um, Laura like, I'm going to take her. I'm going to go get out when you can. And you end up fighting this guy, which is one of the hardest fights. But also, it's also interesting that he's just like it. It it feels like he is just attacking you because it amuses him. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things. You're that there. It, it's a very You're hard there. fight, and this guy is no pushover. But he's not a demon. He's not the nothing Elias did made this guy the way he is mentally. Like he was yeah. already terrible. He was already, already super terrible. He was already the leader of a cannibal gang in prison when Elias showed up. All Elias did was say, hey, would you like to point that somewhere effective for me? And the, the guy was like, well, I'd get to eat more people. Sure will. Okay, then. Uh, so you, you kill that guy. You know, good riddance. No one's minding that. And you run back out to find that the woman in question, uh, oh, she shows up so much more in the game, too, and I can't remember her Tiasa. name. Tiasa. Tiasa. Tiasa can hear the voice of the lesser evil because the, the ritual has been started. She's got all those, those tattooed runes on her. They literally tattooed them into her flesh in blood, uh, by the way. Yeah. In blood, in her own blood, because they were like just using a hammer and a, and a like, look, looks like an ice pick to just I tap mean, those they, things into her. I look like it was also using the blood that was ambient in the air from the sacrifice. Oh yeah. The, the absolutely. Yes, absolutely. They were. Yeah. The acolytes were going and slashing their own th- Roots to give them blood. Yeah, to use in the ritual. Uh, again, blood and blood's use is a big thing in this. Blood case. is the key. Blood is always the key. But you, we- when you get to that point, that's when you find out that the the lesser evil they're summoning is Andariel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason that that's important is because Andariel feeds on suffering. And the best part is why they're summoning her. They're not summoning her because they like Andariel or they want to be friends. They want to capture Andariel and use her as a battery. They want to essentially turn Andariel into their own siege engine to use against the other demons. To use there's against the primevals. Andariel is the maiden of anguish, and there's a lot of anguish in Gulran for her to yep. feed on. Mm-hmm. She'll be like supercharged, and they can use her against the, the primes. That's where they're going with this. That's what Elias's plan is. And it's like, I, on the one hand, it's horrific, and he's a monster. But on the other hand, it might actually work. The four lesser evils actually managed to defeat the three primes once. Granted, there's some debate as to whether or not the primes threw that fight. But mm-hmm. it, the, the one force 
this this is a step up from any force that you could reasonably expect humans to have barring the nephilim hmm. and we don't know what happened to the last big nephilim like we don't know actually we kind of do but that's that's later uh so yeah there's there's a ton of stuff here the, the elias's plan and this is not lilith's plan this is elias's plan he is now on his own doing this whether or not lilith is i'm sure lilith knows about this and is perfectly fine with it Back in the very beginning in that first cinematic, she specifically sends him to the dry stubs to do his work. Yeah. So I think this was this was part of the plan from both of them. Yeah, I, I just think that this is his contribution to. Mm. Like, this is the thing he came up with. I can do this. And she's like, yes, that sounds like a good idea. Um, just just because he's had this kind of idea going on this whole time. So it's, it is really messed up. We do have... a pretty significant story point that we've just walked past here which we which should probably go the, back to yeah which is the bloodied wolf that we met in act one i'm not sure if we really talked about the bloody wolf in uh when we talked about act one do we actually find out when do we find out about that this is this is, this is it. three you find you it, find yeah. out about it before yeah. so liz why don't you go you, ahead so in act one we meet a bloodied wolf we have uh well, it goes back a little further. We, we yes, in we the opening a, of the prologue, you you see him. Yes, you see a around. flash of this black wolf with half a face. It's half a skull and half a face, and uh, it's pretty terrifying. It's a pretty terrifying moment. But you meet him again uh, a while later in the Act One site in the Act One main quest, where he helps you through this Herodric illusion that's been created to hide the Herodric vault that you're trying to get to. And he comes up very reasonable guy. This wolf, <laughs> he's he he makes he's also someone who makes some very compelling points. He helps you through, and he says, you know, don't trust the Herodrum. These guys, everything ends in death. He walks you through a vision of Tristram, which looks kind of uh, maybe Diablo two era because it had it had that cage that we saw Cain in at the beginning, early in Diablo two, if I'm remembering rightly. And he's like, their their plans always end in fire and death. You should not trust those guys. But then he gives you a portal that leads you out of the illusion and uh, leads you to Nyrell. He says, you know, I I'm here to help you. You want to defeat Lilith. I want to defeat Lilith. Let's let's pal together and work on this. And I mean, he doesn't ask you for anything. I mean, that's one of the interesting things. He never asks for anything. He never tells you specifically you have to do this. He just says. Let me offer my assistance and also maybe don't trust those Herodrum. And maybe also, you know, get rid of Lilith for me. But in in Act 3, you run into the guy again. And you run into him. I guess there's no way to say this except just going for it. You're you're going to a shrine for Mephisto to kind of unlock the way to get to Elias's ritual. Yeah, the, and the, the blessed, the, only the blessed can unlock the way. Yeah, because uh, you're you going through get, all three blessings of yeah, all you the... Have to get the yeah. The three blessings of the three heads of the triune, which is the three prime evils. So yeah. Yeah, you you've got to get these blessings in order to go into the place where Elias is holding this ritual to summon Andariel. And you go to the shrine to Mephisto for his blessing. And instead of just getting, you know, like a shock of demonic power like you do at the other shrines, you go into this vision with this bloodied wolf. Weird. What is that about? Apparently, the wolf is indeed Mephisto. He uh, has, uh, you know, he's 
low on energy. He's just been banished back to hell. He's trying to reform. Yeah, maybe basically, help each other out. Yeah, the end of Diablo three, where uh, Malthiel summons the Black Soulstone and shatters it to use the power of the, the of the seven evils against the Nephilim. At the end of that, when he gets destroyed, all of them escape, and so that means at that time. Mephisto's essence and all of their essences went back to their various keeps and, you know, demands and they've been regenerating ever since. Mm -hmm. So So he's not, he's not in shape to fight Lilith is the point. Although it seems like he might be the furthest along at this point, or at least the one with the most cause to show that he's active at least somewhat. Yeah. Maybe that cause thing more than the furthest along. But again, he reveals his identity, but he doesn't, ask for anything he doesn't demand anything he's just like let me help you let me give you my blessing and then you can go on and deal with this let me just help you out i just want to defeat lilith you want to defeat lilith we can we can work together on this let me just offer you a little bit of assistance even like it's interesting because it's very much the way we've seen lilith operate too he even says look i'm yes. not i'm not yes. saying i'm not saying that we won't be enemies but we're not enemies right now so why don't we work together now and then later on we can, you know, let let things happen when they happen. Well, technically he's, that he's, technically that that speech comes in act 5. Way later. Yeah, but it's it's his uh, motivation the whole time. 6. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, act 6. It's uh, and this is what I was talking about earlier that all of the the villains here, they don't lie to you. They may be manipulating you by telling you half-truths or coming at things from a certain angle, but Mephisto isn't lying to you. He's not demanding anything. He's just presenting a particular situation, and actually, he's right. You kind of need his help in some of these situations. Yep. So basically, in this one, too, like when you find out what's, what Mephisto's up to, the whole deal there, it actually keys into what happens next. After you save, uh, again, I can't remember her name, sorry. Tiasa. Tiasa. After you save Tiasa and you know, she's you, you take her to a, an old Zachroom church because it's holy ground, which means that Andariel isn't quite as noisy in her head, you get the idea, okay, we have to go figure out we gotta go like stomp Elias or figure out what he's doing or something. We gotta go after Elias. Uh, this leads to a hilarious uh I don't want to <laughs> say confrontation, but team up with someone named Effie uh Mephi, is that his name? Uh Mephif. Yeah, Mephif. Mashif, who is, uh, he, he apparently knew Decker Kane. I don't ah, remember this character. Back. You've come for an adventure. That's actually a really, that's a really good Mashif you've got there. Uh, Mashif is in Diablo 2. Yes, he is. So uh, he he takes us across the sea in Diablo 2. Uh, he's the, the ship captain. He is yeah, the ship he's captain. Back. And he mistakes Lorath for Deckard Kane. And that's, uh, he thinks Lorath is Deckard Kane for the entire portion of this adventure. Yeah, he, he does. And he's quite hilarious about it, quite frankly. Because, uh, you know, Lorath has never met Deckard Kane. <laughs> he only knows of him by reputation from what, what Tyriel told him. So he's, you know, he's kind of like, what would, what would old Deckard think of us? What would he think of what we've done? What would he think of how we failed to save the world? And it, it's just this really weird moment, like where you, you get to see a side of Lorath you wouldn't normally get to see, whilst also going across this this horrible, completely inhospitable death desert to get to where Elias is holed up. I believe it's like a former palace. Well, the interesting uh, it is it is a, it is a palace actually. Uh, the interesting thing though about Mashif, and I just kind of want to point this out, which I think is an interesting callback to Diablo Two, is you essentially find him in what is an opium den. 
which yeah yeah you do which is what happens in Diablo 2 where the Wanderer cinematic happens where do you find the uh the original like breakout where uh why can't I remember his name now Matt help me out here Marius. Um, thank you, Marius. Yeah, thank There's you. no way I was going to be able to. I'm having a <laughs> terrible time on names today. Where you find Marius in a very similar state. Um, and it makes you really wonder what happened with Mashif between then and now. Because not only is he an old man that has survived a very long time, um, mm-hmm. especially in this world, that's something. Um, but he's from like Karast and Lutgalain, and like he's been around all of this stuff. Yeah, think about like if he's from he's from Karast. Karast is basically nothing now. It's gone. It is non-existent. Yeah. yeah. So he in his lifetime he's watched the the kingdom that was the most powerful, the kingdom of his birth. It would be like it's honestly kind of like being an American who lived to be really old in the Fallout universe. Because mm-hmm. America's <laughs> gone. There's no, nothing that you remember. The Zakaroom, which was once the most powerful religion in the world, is now like a bunch of people who, who like, the only things they get to keep are the stuff that the uh, Cathedral of Light doesn't really care about. And when the Cathedral show up later, they just take the rest. Uh, it's really, yeah, it's, it's, it is painful and disturbing uh, watching. But, but Mashif is like, he's simultaneously hilarious and also astonishingly tragic, as, as we mm-hmm. find out. But they, they get to, to Elias's uh, little palace and, you know, Deckard, Deckard, I'm calling him Deckard. Lorath <laughs> is like, look, you gotta, gotta hide somewhere. Don't, they'll, they'll stab you as soon as look at you around here. He goes, ah, Deckard, we know that kind of thing. And he's like, yeah, just please go hide. You, um, you've gotten, you've gotten fearful in your old age is what he tells Yeah, him. he does. Yeah. Yeah. And so you go into the, the palace and you like, at first you basically just walk in. It's actually pretty funny. You show up and they assume that if you got there, that means you're one of them. Yeah, because the you got to understand, like it, mechanically speaking, the inhospitable desert is an inhospitable desert. It is killing you as you're walking through it. You are taking damage. So in order to get there, you must be blessed in some way because everybody knows that the sandstorm is going out there. They know that it's keeping everybody else away. That's the entire intent of it. So for you to show up relatively unharmed, by the way, can we all take a moment to appreciate that the camel was uh, given a class of healer? Yeah. <laughs> and it had a whole bunch of healing potions on it. I love yes. that camel. Yeah. Yeah. Mila uh, well, I mean- is the best camel. Uh <laughs> Yet you need that camel as you cross the desert because it's doing nonstop damage to you. And also there are like sand tornadoes and it's just, it's a bad place. Very bad. Not a pleasant desert. Uh, I I don't want to gloss too much on the palace, but again, like you go in, you wander through, everyone thinks you're there on, like you're there on a pass. Like you're part of, you've, you've must've recently joined the cult. So you're allowed to walk freely through it. Yeah. And there's a lot of horrible stuff going on. These people are terrible. Um, but also you kind of get the sense that to them, like a lot of them have bought into what Elias is selling because Elias is selling Lilith and Lilith feels like a solution. Like you look at the world, the world state that they've been going through for the past, however many years now, some of these people like they're, they're in their twenties and thirties. They have lived and grown up in a world where everybody died a generation before they were born. Mm-hmm. They've lived in this hellscape and now someone shows up and says, no, I'm not going to save you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you the tools that you will need to save yourselves. I am not a savior. And they buy it because why wouldn't you? Like, you know, and we- also, go ahead. It's again, this is a good point. 
the, that humans need to gain this power so they can fight the lords of hell. And we keep seeing this. Everyone here is, they're turning into an army. They've learned to summon demons. You can see them summoning demons and controlling the demons. They're practice fighting. And I mean, the people you meet out in the courtyard don't seem like terrible people. They're just people. They're just people who are like, yeah, yeah, the mother's going to help us out. We're going to beat those demons. We're going to we're going to beat off the lords of hell because of the mother's help. You know, all of that. Yeah. And it, it's an interesting again, we talked about this before. Diablo 4 really is a story about how people deal with essentially a world that is nothing but trauma because like that's what sanctuary is at this point. And these people have been given a, a choice to fend for themselves, which I think is an important uh, because nobody wants to feel helpless. I think that's a really good underlying uh, point of this. It's even part of the sermon that you hear when you uh, with the, the initial cinematic with the priest and everything else. It's about basically coming together and rising up. Didn't quite work out the way that he wanted. Uh, but even here, it's the same thing. It's it's we're tired of relying on outside powers. If we can do it ourselves, we that's, that's all we ever wanted. We don't want to be afraid anymore. We want to make the things that are afraid that we're afraid of afraid of us instead. And that's what Lilith and Elias are selling. Elias wants humanity to sort of uh, march into battle at the side of the mother. Uh, and the mother is giving that promise of power and, and sort of purpose almost for these people that have been left to survive in a world that is, let's be honest, sanctuary is not terribly that much better than hell some places. Um, but as you move through and you move through the the normal the the noble areas and you can see the effects of the corruption, you can see uh, the demonic sort of tendrils that have been sort of part and parcel with anything that Lilith is her power has touched at this point. Liz made a point a while back that I want to bring up here. Cause here's where it really comes in. You see them summoning demons and you see that they're not summoning demons the way that we've always seen demons being summoned. They're not summoning gigantic burning portals. They're like summoning blood fountains that the demons step out of. Mm-hmm. And that's a telling. Uh, I think it's really interesting that Lilith's power is coming from a different place. It's almost like she isn't actually providing any of her own power for this. She's not. And that's the thing you find and, and, out, right? Yeah. And it's, that's the thing that, that you start seeing signs of here. She literally, when she says, I'm here to empower you, she's basically teaching people how to use the power that they have. You see that with Narelle's mother. I was just going to say, yeah, it's, it's really, uh, it's a subtle point, but it's really well done. It, it's, it's part of this whole thing. And the interesting uh, thing is, while while humans are distilled from Nephilim, which are distilled from the union of angels and demons, humans are sort of like the way that Diablo is presenting it at this point is that humans and the blood therein is almost like the oil for a lantern. It has power in it. It has the capability for great things, uh, whether it's illumination or summoning demons but it lacks a divine spark. It needs that spark to ignite. And that's what Lilith is doing as she's moving forward. But that's also like what you have when you go and get those blessings. And it's, it's an interesting point uh, that the blood is the key, but the blood itself is nothing without that spark. And I, I find that very, very fascinating here. There's one thing that I wonder about is you know, you never see like the 
demons making blood sacrifices. You never see Lilith like cut her palm to give blood for a for a ritual. It's only the humans that do that. Like when she needs to do a blood ritual to get to Rathma, she doesn't do it. She drags a priest along with them and uses his blood and makes Vinard perform the ritual. She doesn't do that. She's getting a human to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, is this literally not something demons can do? It is. Well, blood- that's interesting too, because doesn't Inarius essentially do the exact same thing? He does. Uh, there's that confessor in, in uh, Kyovashad who sacrifices her blood and, and prays to Inarius to, to sanctify it, to, to drive out the yeah, darkness and I mean, use, the, but, but it's the blood what? that's actually doing the banishing. Yeah, it's blood is the key. We continue to see the power of blood. And I I it's not it's not the power of Anarius. It's not the power of Lilith. It's the power of the blood of humans that is making this happen. Because you see Sister Octavia, who that's the person in Kyovashad you're talking about, trying to exercise demons, and she cuts her palm over a blessed chalice and says, Father Anarius, purify my but, wicked blood and but hold on a second. this demon. I want to point that out. Mm. Like you said, a blessed chalice, a chalice that contains yes. what? A spark of divine. Yeah. But what are the yeah, things is the thing, to- they bless it by going to kill a lot of bandits and then yeah. a flaming brand in it. So even, yeah. and, and that's the thing we keep talking about the spark of the divine. I keep thinking about that. You realize that by the end of this game, you're probably a Nephilim. Yeah. I mean, you, we 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 should we we've still got more of Act Three to talk about, so we should move yeah. through and, and get to it. I, I do want to make. Oh, actually, I should at this point. I should never mind. Carry on. <laughs> All right. So as you move your way through, because we we are going to talk about the the revelations. I think that's more Act Five slash Prologue that we need to get to. Um, you wind up becoming or getting to find face to face with Elias. That's ultimately what happens. Um, but there are a couple things that happen. One in the moment. He, one, he's unbothered by you. He doesn't care. Uh, there is no uh, quote unquote final reckoning that you have to really worry about or that he feels worried about. And when you go to encounter him, the bar doesn't turn into a boss bar, which is pretty telling. Uh, so you basically kill him, make short work of him. And I'm air quoting kill here. Um, and then you get to interact with blood petals on the uh, the floor that will then take you through what actually is happening Uh with Lilith and Elias and, and how their relationship is sort of going or what, what it is, the actual depth of it. Uh, and you realize that Elias may be starting to realize that the mother is using him as much as uh, she promises to be saving everything else. Uh, and then when the cutscene's over, Elias shows up again because of course he does. Um, and then you have to fight him again for round two. But again, it's really not a boss fight. He summons champion devils to, to deal with you uh, and you keep going, you keep going. And then the bo- the, the fight does turn into a boss battle ish uh, where at the end of it, he's gone and you are left to pick up the pieces and what you originally came here for the sightless eye, a relic of immense power that allows you to sort of scry on things or speaking s- of Diablo too. Yeah. Matt, do you want to explain? One thing is, Sorry, go ahead. You didn't, you didn't know the sightless eye was here. No, you no, didn't he, know he had the sightless eye. You Loreth find that out yeah. when you arrive. Yeah, Loreth literally like says, we can't kill him. We're just wasting our time. Sooner or later, he's just going to he's gonna win just because we'll be too tired to keep fighting him. We got to figure out, we, we can't let him keep the sightless eye. 
Like, no, no way. That's not, no, we're taking that. Let's go. We're going to get the sight lesson. And then you do, you grab it, you, you run off with it. Uh, and you get outside and this is one of the, it, one of those quieter, sad moments, mm-hmm. but you find me- Meshif on the, f- on the ground with, he's been knifed in the back. It, it's like, almost like someone just casually stabbed him and then walked in like, oh, whatever stab. And he's like, you know, even dying, he thinks that, that Lorath is Deckard and Lorath is busted up over this. And it's like, so far we've seen Lorath be kind of a jerk to everybody. So it's interesting to get a piece of Lorath as someone who actually cares about individual humans. He yeah, does. He lets, he, lets him, he lets him believe that he's Deckard in those final moments. Yeah, he does. He just, he accepts that, you know, he's Deckard. He tells him that he did well. And, and it's just, it's quiet, but it's, it's fun for me because a, it shows you that Lorath is not just like the grumpy exterior is just that it's an exterior. It's a shell. He isn't really like that. And also, it's just this little quiet, poignant little moment. And then you have to leg it. You've got to go. You don't have time to stand around here and bury this guy. Uh, and so you, they leg it back to the, um, the the temple where they left. Uh, and again, I can't remember her name. My God, you've told me her name twice now. Tiasa. Tiasa. I'm going to forget it again. I just Tiasa. <laughs> her name is Tiasa. At this point, I want to speed run the events, and then we can talk more about well, like, this, anything you guys want to talk about. This is me- the end of Act 3. That is that is that is the true moment Act Three ends before Act Four begins, because Act Four yeah. begins with the prying eye. Yeah, that's that's true. Act Four feels almost like part of Act Three to me. It really, it really yeah, does. See, you remember back in the beginning, I was asking y'all which order you played through, and I said playing one, three, and then two felt best to me. That's because if you play three and then four, they just blend together. They four do. doesn't even feel like it exists because. Three starts off, or four starts off right where three ended. Like Lorith tells you, oh, I need some time to study the sightless eye. And if you do three and then four, it's just like, okay, time is like five I, seconds. Yeah, Let's go. That's, that was the time I needed. <laughs> so, so what I what I what I'll say is, I, I I think that in this moment, Act Three, the the sort of the midpoint of Act Three, and then the rest of the game flows very well and very consistently pushing you forward to the climactic end game, right? Like that's, that's what it does. So if at, to me, like playing through at this point, and I think this is a good point to, to break and kind of get our opinions on stuff and then talk about any, any loose ends, but that's why I, I really am happy that I played act one, then act two, because act one and act two felt like they were all about building the world around you and the front part of act three, like it was showing you how things work in sanctuary now and how things are falling apart or, or what the stressors are and everything else. And then from act three midpoint forward, the game just starts taking off running and Mm -hmm. you're, you are literally, you've hit the apex of the mountain and you are downhill sprinting at this point. And I really appreciate that because I was telling Liz about this last night. Um, I started playing to, to catch up with everything and I hadn't realized, and I, I originally said four hours, six hours had elapsed. Um, <laughs> so That's always the Diablo problem. You start and then suddenly like five hours are gone. What happened? Yeah, but this one is, this one is that much more than the others. Yeah. For, for, and for me, it was because I was getting sucked into the story and I needed to know what happened next because everything, mm-hmm. 
like in some Diablo games, the story will have well, almost every Diablo game, the story will have very natural breakpoints. And Acts one and two do that because Acts one and two are not really acts themselves at this point. And looking back after three, uh, you can uh, I, I feel comfortable saying this. Act one and Act two are basically a, a, a gathering of smaller stories into one container container. And that's what the act is. It's not necessarily one cohesive uh, propelling thing forward. It's go do this thing over here. It's going to show you how the druids work. And this is going to show you this other thing of druids work that when you go in and free the keep of uh, Tirnara, uh, you you learn that some of the druids escaped. And if you're playing a druid, maybe you're from that sect of druids that ran away. Right. Um, and there's a ton of implications there. And there's all these little tiny bits and pieces of the story that individually probably couldn't have been their own thing, but together give you an idea of how the world is as a whole. And then you just, everything just keeps flowing. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. So I let's talk about loose ends for act one and act or sorry, act one, two and three so far, if you have any, and I'll start with Liz. I want to say the biggest question I have after playing all of these acts is why is Astroth here? Why Why did Astaroth come to Sanctuary? How did he get to Sanctuary? He's supposed to be in hell guarding Mephisto, and you would think guarding Mephisto is something that's really important right now while Mephisto is reforming, regaining his power. So I, I wonder about that one. I wonder about that a lot, and it plays into my like crazy conspiracy theory that I, I'm sure I will get to later. Yeah, because I think I have a couple theories about that as well that we're probably going to talk about it towards the end of it. But what else, like anything else really stand out, especially during like act three of things that we missed or maybe glossed over that you want to go a little bit more into? I, I mean, one thing we did skip past is the triune. The triune has always been a cult formed by uh, the three prime evils and they, they've always served the primes except here you see Elias has turned them into uh, onto Lilith. They are working for Lilith now. So you see, you still see the Triune has been a large presence in Diablo for a while, but now you see them working for Lilith and supporting Lilith. And they're kind of like the core starting point of this army she's building. And you see, you, you can go in and find some things, some dialogues, some you know, scraps of paper you find lying around because there's always a scrap of paper lying around that explains part of the story where they're saying, okay, well, now, now we don't have to serve. We don't have to be lapdogs of the primes. We can have true power. We can have power over the demons, power of our own if we follow Lilith instead of the primes. So that's interesting. And there, there's more to talk about on that later in the story. That she's just, this is another example where Lilith has come in and, you know, made her case. Or probably Elias came in and made the case. And it's like, huh, that makes a lot of sense. Why are we serving these guys? They're just, they're jerks. They treat us like slaves. We could serve, we could serve her. And she's or, going to empower us well, to, the, the, the thing to is defeat she, this on our own. She's not asking for servitude. That's the thing. She's she's not even asking you just to follow her. Elias is asking yeah. you to follow. She's asking just for you to stand and, and get in the way of the evils, right? She's asking you to to yeah. to accept the gift and defend your world. So I think that's that's Which, also very telling. 
And it's it's super reasonable. You can see why all of these people go with Lilith. Because it's like, yeah, yeah, the primevals are going to come. And she's going to help us fight them. Okay, let's do this. I'm signed up. Yeah. Matt, what about you? Oh, um, this one is really kind of, it's, it's a very side questy thing. But as you're doing act one, you find out like, you know, things you're like, why are there so many ghouls and weird, not, not just demons, but werewolves and also weird vampires stuff and, and vampires. Yeah. And as you're going through it, uh, this, this priestess, um, from the, from the cathedral light takes you aside and goes, yeah, you're up here in Corvala doing, uh, doing the work of the, uh, of the, of the head of the church. And, and that's great. But, um, I, I had this guy who was this knight who died and he, I guess he thought I was his confessor. Cause he started telling me like horrible secrets about him and his group of his friends found this thing called the crimson chalice mm-hmm. and they've been using it. And, uh, apparently it's right underneath, uh, the place where, where Anarius is hanging out. And you're like, oh, so it's directly underneath where Anarius spends his time and he doesn't seem to know or care about it. And like, yeah, he doesn't seem interested. Uh, but anyway, could you go get it for me? Maybe kill those 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 people and get it for me? And so you go and do because, you know, hey, oh, vampires, that, that ain't good. Uh, and so you go and get it. You kill the vampires and you get the chalice and you bring it to her. And she's like, thank you. I'll be sure to destroy this. You go through the rest of the game. When you come back to the Fractured Peaks, there are a lot more vampires. Mm-hmm. Now, and they're in, they're all in like church livery. They're like, you know, inquisitors and knights. And they, they've taken over one of the settlements is now like one of the uh, former settlements is now a stronghold ruled by them. And they're just what? everywhere now. You're just trying to say something, Liz, so I'm stopping. I mean, the, the stronghold is actually there. Yeah, I know it's in there. The middle of that one. Yeah, I know, I know I it's mean, there. It's- but my point is just that if you do this in that order, if you go do stuff and then you come back and it's like well, suddenly there's vampires everywhere. And I, it's like- I think, I, I feel like we're kind of, things change after you finish the story. And some of that is part of this, I yes, feel like. Exactly. And it's one of the things I found really fascinating was like, okay, We've been talking this whole time about the power in blood. And we know that blood magic has been a thing in Diablo since Diablo 2 because the Countess was doing, the, no, the Baroness. Uh, I was going to say, te- doing te- blood te- magic and stuff too. Technically, but. since Diablo 1 because of the butcher and yeah. the stuff around the butcher. Yeah, but the butcher is a straight up demon who eats people. I, I don't know that it, it didn't feel like they were trying to make too, too serious a point. Regardless, <laughs> it, it's, it's really this interesting bit where it's like, wait a minute. There is this magical cup underneath where Inarius was just hanging out when he started his religion. That's got blood iconography right in it. Uh, there's a, like that blood drop in front of his cathedral. There's that whole deal where the confessors use their own blood to, to drive out demons. And he's got this blood cup that turns people into blood drinking immortal beings. What's all that about? again and it's not the only time you see something weird with the cathedral and that sort of thing because when prava feels like stuff's getting hard and the holy war is coming what does she do she digs out those weird robots and starts sticking knights in them or or using that as the knight's penance right because we've seen it at this point with vigo yeah and vigo's blood is clearly what was powering that thing they talk about his power of his faith but no it's not his faith he's it's a pincushion in there (laughs) he's bleeding 
to go back and remind people what we're talking about, you do, when you go to Corvallar for the first time, you see this massive suit of armor that they're preparing, and you can even see some old bloodstains inside it. And later you find Vigo has used it to come to come and save you at the end towards the end of Act One, or to come and help you. You were probably okay on your own. You're you're pretty strong, but uh, yeah, everyone's using blood magic, and they make the point that this is like an old thing. This is an old relic, yeah, but I mean, everyone's out there using blood magic, and it's always human blood. And the thing is, is I I believe it's probably pretty old because this part of the of sanctuary is directly where the Vizjari Empire used to be. Hmm. The, the mage wars happened in on this side of the world. And the mage wars were all about mages, descendants of Ishu, uh, one of the four ancients that we know of. There's lots more, but the, one, the ancients we actually know names for. Uh, Ishu started the Zan Ishu clan, and one of, that was one of the clans that became mages under the Vizjari era. And they some of them were summoning demons. That's how the demons found out about Sanctuary, mm-hmm. is because these mages were summoning demons to it. How were they summoning them? The ancient they, rituals. Yeah. Were they using the same rituals that Lilith has got her people using? Were they using were the they same using rituals people? that those those people that we just saw in the palace were using, using all sorts of blood? Yeah, that's I exactly what I'm getting at. I think that there's this whole thing of, of like weird stuff about blood, because in the end, the blood of, of humanity is the blood of the Nephilim. And the blood of the Nephilim is the blood of angels and demons. It's both. That's why Malthiel tried to kill us by pulling the demon part out of us and sticking it in the Black Soul Stone. It would have killed all humanity. It did kill most of humanity. So yeah, what's the deal? What's what, There's a lot of stuff I still want to hear more about. I want to see more about. Yeah, and, and I think Act 3, for me too, is where it really starts to drive home that this game is going to have story delivered for a long time because what we are playing through is I don't want to call it the opening act of a longer story but that's the way it starts to feel here that there's a lot more going on and that there's more stories to tell there's all these little things all these little like deviations and and side quests and little stories that have been presented up to this point that could be massive storylines in their own right. And we have yet to explore them because we've been too busy chasing after Lilith or Elias and trying to fix whatever is happening there and keep that from happening. So I find that absolutely intriguing because this is act. Like I said, act one and act two were the ones where like, I felt that they were all set up act three is where I really started to feel like, okay, there's there's a very clear trajectory and I can see all these branching paths and these are going to be something to deal with later. And I like that. I like that a lot. I also like how they characterize Lorath in this uh, act in particular, because he essentially starts to, I don't want to say grow up, um, but I can't think of a better way to phrase it. He starts to have that gravitas about him. He starts to, understand that he actually needs to participate uh that it's not just something he can ride out in a bar anymore um that he if he's going to be haradrum and and i think it's at this point where you start to hear no it's next it's next one we start to hear more about lorath's path uh, past where like mm-hmm. it makes sense looking back on this act when you start to hear that so we'll talk about that next time but i'm very impressed and i was very happy with it so far but I think that's going to do it unless there's anything else you, you two want to bring up. 
I mean, there is, but I want to go home at some point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, folks. Well, okay. I want to go to Sanctuary at some point. Quite frankly, this is chewing <laughs> into my game time. That's sanctuary is a terrible place, and I don't think any of us really want to go there. But it is really satisfying to smash up demons nonstop. I've got a date with a nightmare. Uh, anyway, Blizzard Watch <laughs> is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance of having your question answered on our podcast or the queue in an ad-free site experience. Again, if you have questions for us, especially if you have questions about Diablo, um, send them in. Uh, you can hit us up at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Send us an email. Uh, specify which show it's for, and we'll be more than happy to uh, make sure it gets to the right place. If you can't send us an email or don't want to send us an email, go ahead and send us a Discord message. Uh, you can hit us up on our various channels. We have one for our Patreon supporters as a way of saying thank you for supporting us. Uh, that's the Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel. And if you can't support us on Patreon monetarily, again, we understand. Uh, you can hit us up on our Q and Podcast Questions channel. And be f- feel free to share our content with your friends or give us a thumbs up or a rating or a like or, or anything on any of the platforms you listen to our content on. All that stuff helps just as much as Patreon. So, But thank you very much, folks. We'll see you next time. <laughs>